You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. There you'll find episode guides, as well as additional reading, more exclusive content, tons of great stuff. And never miss an update, an album review, interview, etc. by subscribing to the free newsletter, howtostand.substack.com. You could also become a paying subscriber on Substack, and that means you're supporting an independent creator and become part of a community, howtostand.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hi everybody, welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Tons of headlines to cover today, and some Seven Fates Chaco episodes, so let's just dive right in. Starting with Seven Fates Chaco exactly where we left off. A mystery figure was offering something. We couldn't figure out what the offer was before the episode, the chapter, ended. Now we pivot to a scene at the Tiger Butterfly team's headquarters, and their commander, Don Shul, seems really ticked off, and the members seem to be basically begging for forgiveness, despite the fact they kind of did just walk away and leave the bounty, the slain bone, with the other team. The boss is like, fine, I won't punish you for this if you bring the people to me. Bring them into our fold. Let's work with them. Let's train them. It's interesting that in this headquarters, though, clearly they have been doing surveillance or something, keeping tabs on news coverage of Zeha and company because their pictures and descriptions are on the wall there. Zeha and company currently are at this patio table in District 10. Or at least that's what Haru says. I assume they are in District 10, but you know how Haru was last time. Like, welcome to my wonderful house. It wasn't his house. So not really a reliable person here. Anyway, they are at some patio talking. Zeha's reading aloud a news alert about warning teens you shouldn't walk around outside unless you have an actual bone hunter with you. Not just a buddy system, a bounty hunter buddy system. In a very revealing moment of vulnerability, Zeha asks Dogian, how long are you sticking around with us? And he says, well, there's one specific bone I'm waiting for. So I need to find him, track him down, then I'll be on my way. Zeha says, are you sure you're not just lonely? And Dogian's literally dot dot dot. His speech bubble is just dot dot dot. But he's also a tough guy. This tough exterior he doesn't want to get rid of. They start wondering why the heck these bohm have been so predictable. Doesn't sound like you should be predictable if you're trying to take over towns. But they have been taking over districts in numerical order. One, two, three, and now District 6 has fallen. Very odd that they're doing that. And, predictably, they also continue to go after the most vulnerable. And now the BOM are headed towards an elementary school or a daycare center, somewhere where kids have to cower in fear. Truly, one of my most emotionally invested moments of this series so far, just seeing pictures of kids crying, wanting help, wanting safety. We'll get to that, though. Whatever offer the mystery man offered, they took. Because these bohm on Team Bolti remark that this fellow is, quote, more useful than I thought. But Zeha shows up, still in his street clothes, hoodie, jeans. And I feel like, for the story's sake, this was intentional. Just because it had a deeper layer that adds to his character in the story about how, hey, this random street clothes person can turn into a superhero too. Anyway, he uses his magic sword, slays the bohm just in the nick of time, saves teachers and students, thinks the job is done, but the little kid says his friend is still there on the second floor, where some bohm turn out to still be terrorizing. Zeha just jumps beyond human capability through the window, glass goes everywhere, 
And by the time he gets there, he sees someone else, who we learn is V's character, already killed this bomb and saved the girl. He asks who this guy is, and then the episode ended. I wonder if this girl who he had just saved is the little sister they've been seeking. Just throwing that possibility out there. It also seems notable that this new character, V's, Juan, he has one white shoe and one tall black boot. One white sneaker, one black boot. Not sure what that's about, but maybe it's significant later. I like to take note of things that often mean nothing, but sometimes they turn into bigger clues. Once the danger is all gone, Zeha introduces Juan to the group, and actually Haru and Dogian didn't even help. They showed up and rejoined Zeha later. They claimed they had been fighting Boma along the way, so they got held up. I think in this next moment, Dogian is intentionally acting like a real tough guy, really unreasonably aggressive, disproportionately suspicious. Because I think he's kind of making up for his moment of vulnerability that he views as weakness from earlier. Because he holds up the gun to this new person. And Zeha says, quote, Dogian, you most certainly should get out of the habit of greeting others with a gun. Dogian is forced to kind of awkwardly apologize for greeting him at gunpoint. And I guess they kind of don't bond, but learn maybe they can trust each other because the enemy of the enemy is my friend, and they find out they both are against Bolti. Bolti actually killed Juan's girlfriend. Juan decides to join them, reveals his weapon is now broken, and so Dogian says, hey, we're going to the weapons exchange if you want to come with. And so Zeha says, quote, that's his way of apologizing. I really have a feeling it will be like either the climax or the happy ending here that Dogeon will hug someone or cry or do something extra vulnerable and be okay with it. Not until he meets all the other BTS members' characters, though. The ending scene hints at much more action to come, where we see that there's this underground location. Apparently, it's not like everyone the bone crossed was killed. Some were kidnapped. And so the kidnappees are now marching in this group under the BOM's instructions into some sort of underground world. Let's pivot now to IRL BTS news. First of all, we have to talk about the Grammys. What did you guys think of the show overall? I'll make that my question of the day. There should be an ability to answer the question of the day right through Spotify. If you are listening elsewhere, though, Feel free to just chime in on social media. But what do you think? I actually thought it was a pretty decent show this year. They kept it kind of tight. Of course, the year that they keep things moving is when one of my favorite people ever, Trevor Noah, is hosting. But I guess for everyone else's sake, they were grateful he kept his monologue pretty short. Shameless plug, I really dove into why I'm a freaking Daily Show fanatic on the How to Stand episode all about the Daily Show and Trevor Noah and his outlook on life. I digress. I will fangirl off the mic. But the point is, I was really like freaking out because he was sitting next to and chatting with some of my favorite musicians. So it was all my favorites together in a way that just felt weird. Like, this never happens. These parts of my identity, BTS ARMY and Trevor Noah Stan, if that's even a thing for anyone in Gen Z but me, and to have those parts of my personality get to team up and enjoy the same event, I'm just telling you, at a deep psychological level, it was a rush. Anyway, really excited to see them together. And it was overall a pretty good show. 
their performance specifically, I was really impressed with because it reminded me of their Dynamite promo in how somehow they can perform the exact same song a hundred different ways. Dynamite Live performances never got old, and man, if I had a nickel for every time, Dynamite was the song they performed the past couple years. But somehow they always change it up, costume-wise, concept-wise, setting-wise. They always find a way to keep it fresh. And they did it again with Butter this time. You've got to watch the performance. It's really just incredible. I nervously looked at show reviews so you don't have to. And I can confirm, no worries, the critics largely agree BTS was one of the most outstanding performers of the night. It was also really special, I think, because they all ended up getting to perform. Honestly, I have a feeling if Jin and Jungkook couldn't perform because of the COVID and finger surgery, if those things made it actually come Grammy Day not an option, I don't think they would have performed without all seven. I really don't. But last minute it worked out, and reportedly, they actually almost didn't perform at all. Very last minute, not tons of time to prepare. It was really rough. Getting rehearsals ready, the logistics of it, with some absences in rehearsals, it was a lot to think about. But boy, did they pull it off. Now, as for their not getting a win, I appreciate their honesty that after the show, as per usual, they celebrated with us instead of going to after parties. They just hang out with ARMY on a live stream. And they were talking about, well, not gonna lie, we are disappointed, but we'll keep trying. It was a good outlook. I appreciated their honesty. And I agree with their assessment, unfortunately, how it felt like they were gearing up to win. The best pop duo or group performance category was not a main televised category back in 2019, but now with the next in-person show with a big audience, it was returned to that category, a main televised one, in anticipation of the artist being there in person to accept an award, I assume. Plus this year they had their own performance, they had some camera time, a little bit they did. More of a prominent role in this year's ceremony than in the past, and timing-wise of their bit, their performance, it all felt like it was building to something, and then they didn't win. I do agree that timing was probably intentional, but cruel. I also was honestly shocked. Truly, no offense to Doja Cat or SZA. Truly not trying to diss them in any way, but I really think Butter deserved. And if it didn't win, I assumed the winner would be Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga's collab. But no, the winner was Doja Cat and SZA for Kiss Me More, and I was really surprised by that. It was a big deal for them, and I am happy for them. But man, Butter is just an incredible performance. A couple of things to point out on the bright side, however. Right around Grammy time, We Are Bulletproof the Eternal, aka my number one cry song, re-entered the top 10 on iTunes in the USA. Way to go, ARMY! Second, they've had a lot of other fun activity in Vegas the incredible takeover they did and are still doing as of recording time. A two-weekend event, a residency, but more than that, BTS City in Vegas right now. This BTS City takeover had purple lighting everywhere, a fountain show, Korean food at restaurants, tons of photo ops, Instagram-worthy backgrounds and stuff, tons of merch opportunities, getting the chance to meet other ARMY, the beautiful sense of community. It was a short-term army metropolis. Apparently, they were going to do that type of BTS city takeover in a bunch of different cities as part of the 2020, now-canceled, Map of the Soul tour. 
They started assessing the potential of Allegiant Stadium in Vegas as a test site of sorts for this idea back in December 2021, just a few months from an early planning stage to completion, which means they should probably hurry up and get to Chicago and do the planning now so it's ready for maybe like a late summer BTS Chicago takeover. I have a feeling they'll do more of these this year. I bet New York is next or Chicago, please. More BTS news. They just got nominated for seven BBMAs, which is both a personal best and really funny because in one category, they are against each other, Butter versus Permission to Dance. And of course, it's their special number, seven nominations. I also want to shout out real quick, Miyavi. Congrats to him. The Arcane soundtrack is also nominated. BTS's new virtual game is coming this summer and is confirmed to be called BTS Island in the Somme. It's a quote, story-rich puzzle game about the cartoon characters' adventures on this island. Do you remember how cute and sweet and wholesome it was when the one thing the internet loved was Animal Crossing? Let's relive that lovely feeling with this game. This summer, let's do it. It's also going to be fun for the Easter eggs because the members were very hands-on, so the characters in the game are said to be like them, embodying a lot of their signature traits. Very excited to see that. They also have teamed up with Free Fire and will probably continue to get into the virtual space with different projects. More on that in an upcoming episode. They won a KCA for favorite music group, yet somehow this year they won a KCA for favorite music group, but not favorite global music star. That went to Adele. I have some questions. Are kids voting for the KCA's really mega Adele stands more than BTS stands? I knew the BTS fandom was more than just young people, of course, but to the point where Adele is more popular with kids? That really threw me off. Anyway, they're also nominated for Best Group at the 2022 Global Awards. And their company, Hybe, is on Fast Company's list for 2022 of the 50 most innovative companies. Let's talk about some more live events to get excited for. A musical is coming, all about K-pop, starring a bunch of genuine K-pop stars. Luna from FX, Kevin Wu from Yukis, Min from Miss A, and Kim Bohyun from Spica. It's apparently pretty good reaction-wise so far because it was off-Broadway, and now it's moving to being on-Broadway. There will be previews at Circle in the Square Theater in New York this October, and opening night is November 20th. The show sounds like fame, only with a K-pop plot. The most succinct way I can try to summarize the plot. South Korea has confirmed a plan to build a K-pop arena, the Seoul Arena, in 2025. It's supposed to have 18,000 seats, but then hold up to 28,000 people in standing room shows. Hard to visualize, but that's what they say. It's actually not as big of an arrangement as you think. For context, Soldier Field, one of the big stadiums I've been to the most because I'm from Chicago, that capacity at the max is like 63,000. This max is 28,000 if everyone stands up. So it's actually quite small, but cool, with cool effects that you can't see in a bigger place. AR technology, other tech will be incorporated into this arena. It's an arena, not a stadium, so there is that to remember too. 
I will say the main most frequently attended arena I've been to near Chicago is probably closer to 10 or 15k. So this is big for an arena, small for a stadium. It's not a stadium, I'm just trying to give some context. Anyway, it sounds very cool, and it will include bonuses like a movie theater. Is this what revives the mall? If anything could revive a mall, it's K-pop. Wouldn't it be great if you could watch a movie, like a Seventeen movie, a concert movie, and then turn around and go to the concert venue right next door and watch them live, like recreate it? It'd be so cool. Twice, I announced an encore show coming to the Bank of California Stadium, the first time a K-pop girl group has filled a U.S. stadium, and the first time a K-pop group period has played a stadium here, except for BTS. It's going to be mid-May, and it sold out in less than one hour. Monsta X is having a concert in Seoul right before they leave for the USA tour. April 29th through May 1st, they will have three in-person shows. Ravi is having an online and offline show from Yes24 Hall, May 7th at 6 p.m. Korean time, and 8th at 6.30 Korean time. By the way, on the Groovelin Artist Tour next month, Cold Bay has dropped out of it due to personal reasons, but the rest are still involved as of recording time. DKB announced a tour coming this June. It's the Meet and Live style tour, so lots of options to take pics, get autographs and stuff, get up close and personal with them. Very cool. It kicks off in New York June 10th. They'll be in Chicago June 12th. Then there's Atlanta, Dallas, Denver, and they end in LA the 19th. Icon is having an offline concert June 25th, and then the 26th will have a live stream option. The offline ticket purchases are May 4th. The online ticket purchases May 6th. Jun K and Woo Yun from 2 p.m. are having an online and offline show streaming just on the first day, April 30th, and then offline only May 1st. After the European tour, MC&D will tour North and South America starting in San Francisco, June 4th, and you can check out more press release details right now at 17karatkpop.weebly.com. Very happy I got to break that news. Lastly, Woosun announced a solo tour. It starts in Amsterdam, May 15th. He'll then go to France, the UK, Germany, Poland, New York, Dallas, West Hollywood, Oakland, Vancouver, and then Asian tour dates that are TBA, but I'll keep you posted. Let's talk about how Queendom Season 2 has been going so far. What do you guys think? What are your impressions? Sounds like people are loving it because the premiere had higher ratings than Queendom Season 1 or Kingdom. It seems to be quite buzzed about, and I can see why. I personally think my favorite performances so far have been Luna because I'm biased, and I genuinely think it was a cool new twist on Paint the Town. Taking a Bollywood influence song and adding their own cultural additions to the performance, that was really cool to see. A cool cultural celebration. And I'm going to have to say, I was very surprised in a good way by how much I liked what Vivi's did. The way they changed G-Friend songs and gave them new life, really interesting. I think my favorite part so far has been behind-the-scenes stuff. It is so cute and fun to watch them praise each other, fangirl over each other, to see Luna members get shy and clam up before saying to Vivi's, oh my gosh, I practiced G-Friend songs in my room as a trainee, love you guys. And then of course to see Kepler being the most confident rookies imaginable and saying hi to everyone. Just a lot of really cute, sweet moments. Interesting press conference takeaways. 
when describing why in the first place these girl groups were chosen. Apparently, the most requested act for Queendom 2 was WJSN. Apparently also, the minute Vivi's debuted, the minute word spread about those GFRN members reassembling and starting a new group, the producers were eyeing them. They also revealed the recent nearly 10 billion won investment in Luna's career really helped them decide you should be on this show. You have the support you need to go for. Sure, whatever works, stay in Luna. Then there is what Eve said, which I've been thinking a lot about. She referenced how Luna is quite popular overseas. In the USA, we love Luna, but not as relatively popular in Korea, which reminds me of God 7 situation. Just something to think about. Because it is kind of odd how certain fans in the USA really gravitate towards certain acts in ways that fans of those acts in other countries just don't. It's the same with other countries too, other parts of the world. I mean, Card is like at least twice as popular in South America than North. So it's just interesting, those differences, and I just wanted to bring that up. Let's get into sadder news though. Some band departures, breakups, changes. So Naun has officially left A-Pink. They're going to regroup, rearrange, and come back as five members. Remember, she was the only one who didn't renew a contract with IST Entertainment, previously called Play M Entertainment. That was actually a recent change. She also did sign with YG Entertainment for acting. But now, who knows, maybe she'll sign with them for singing as well. Yena from April is also leaving her group and DSP Media. April did disband, and her contract officially ended April 7th. Tracing has officially disbanded. Their last comeback actually was summer 2019, so again, I worry it was kind of a pandemic casualty situation. Plus, TS Entertainment causing bad PR for them and basically falling apart. We've talked about that before. Plus, group members leaving. There's so much. I just think they were really cool. Tracing deserved better. Go listen to Missing once you're done listening to this episode. And Lay has officially left SM Entertainment after over a decade with the company. He didn't say he's not in XO anymore. My guess is he's just gonna pop up every now and then in XO content in the future, but will spend like 90% of his time working with his own company that he's been working with. Some award show updates. Espa won Best Singer at the Korea PD Awards, Producing Direction Awards. And Lee Junho became the first ever idol, a K-pop idol, to win Best Actor at that show for his starring role in The Red Sleeve. At the 19th annual Korean Music Awards, the most wins this year went to Aspa, with three. Other congrats go to BTS for Artist of the Year, Shunha, IU, Akmu, Lang Lee, Changmo, so so many others. And congrats to the Japanese Golden Disc Award winners. BTS won 10, the first time any foreign relative to Japan act has won so many awards in a single award show in Japan. N-Hyphen won New Artist of the Year. N-Hyphen and Treasure and ITZY won for Best New Artist. In the Best New Albums, BTS The Best, the Japanese compilation, 17's Attica, and TXT's Chaotic Wonderland. BTS, N-Hyphen, TXT, they all emerged winners. Imagine the hype takeover of that award show after the new boy band and girl group debut. Big congrats are in order for Bam Bam, who recently came to California to perform live at the Golden State Warriors halftime show. He's their official global ambassador. He also got some cool exclusive merch. 
if you bought it and were a lucky golden ticket winner, basically, you got to join the meet and greet. And along with his halftime performance, he debuted a new song, Wheels Up. A new show is coming called Virtual Gaio Top 10. It's eventually going to be weekly, but now, as of recording time, not as frequent. But the makers of We K-Pop are trying out this new KBS show. So far, they've already had on Stray Kids, Billy, Drippin', Cravity, Solar, Weekly, Alexa Hosting. So if they do really take off, sounds like they have a lot of people booked. The Faker Club, a company I must continue to sing the praises of because I'm just so impressed by their artists, they've started a very cool fundraising campaign selling a photo book, and they hosted a photo exhibition. The proceeds from this photography project are going to the Korea Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Really wonderful. Let's cover once again the enormous amount of stars who got COVID since our last update. I'll try to be fast, but there's a lot. Kim Sejun, two members of Red Velvet, Becco from New East, two more BTS members, Shin Don from Super Junior, Jane June from Golden Child, Two members of Rocket Punch, Heyin from Laboom, Heywon from NMix, Yua from Oh My Girl, she actually got it a while back but is having a flare-up of After Effects, Taeyin from SF9, Din Din, Junho from 2PM, Suwa from Dreamcatcher, three members of Purple Kiss, Yoon from Winner, five members of Monsta X, E Geekwon, Jenhan from Seventeen, and four members of DKB, probably more by the time this episode airs, one of my J-pop slash anime rock queens, Lisa, is getting a Netflix documentary. Lisa, Another Great Day, is premiering this fall worldwide. Very excited. The girl group Elris is officially ready to show their new look to the world. They changed their band name to Alice, and as of recording time, they've just been teasing on social media their first comeback since switching companies. Now they're under BI's company, IOK Company. Excited to see them get this new chance at promo. Congrats to Yunjae, who is the new radio DJ of the show, Close Friend. Yujin from IVE is the new face of Versace. Congrats to John Park, who just revealed he's getting married soon. Minghyun and Beko from New East have both launched their own Twitter accounts. Stray Kids featured on MTV's Fresh Out. Wanpil from Day6 has enlisted in the military, as has P.O. from Block B. Hansok from Pentagon is enlisting May 3rd. And MJ from Astro, May 9th. In better news, welcome back Jaseph from Card, who just came back from his enlistment. Here are some first week album sale updates about copies sold in the first week. G Idol, I Never Die, over 115k. Kihyun, Voyager, over 135k. Moonbin and Sanha, Refuge, over 137k. Treasure, The Second Step, Chapter 1, around 800k. In NCT Dream, Glitch Mode, 1 million in less than 3 days, 2 million stock pre orders. And just overall personal record, marking their debut on the Billboard 200 album chart. Stray Kids also continue to go to new heights with their sales. They reach number one, number one, as their debut spot on the Billboard 200 World Albums chart. They are now only the fourth ever Korean act to top the Billboard 100 artist list. And Suho's new album, Grey Suit, topped iTunes in 33 regions. Taeyeon SoundCloud has surpassed 30 million total streams. And yes, we're going to talk about Love Theory after it comes out. As of recording time, it hasn't yet, but I am so psyched. 
surpassing 20 million views, B2B's The Song, 40 million, Brave Girls Video for Thank You, 50 million, Stray Kids Maniac, 60 million, OO by Enmix, 80 million, G Idol's Tomboy, and Ping Pong by Hyena and Dawn, 100 million views, I Use Through the Night, XO's Don't Fight the Feeling, and Twice's Cry For Me performance video. 400 million, Got Seven's Just Right, their first to ever reach that. 1.1 billion views on Idol by BTS, and 600 million Spotify streams on How You Like That by Blackpink. Lastly, while I still have your attention, your action item slash recommended reading today, a couple of pieces. One is this really interesting Seattle Times piece. They're marking the 80th anniversary of the start of Japanese Americans being removed from their homes on the West Coast. They're calling this project A1 Revisited, and they hope to correct the wrongs of the way they initially reported on what happened in a watered-down way, in a, a wrong way. And they lay out very carefully how they're trying to make amends really important stuff. As well as B. Van's piece in NBC about regrets starring opposite Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. He talks about Asian stereotypes, things like that. Really important read. I also recently heard about this organization Soar Over Hate that I just thought sounded really cool. It provides self-defense and therapy for the AAPI community. So Soar Over Hate, great resource if you need it. Asian American hate crimes still up just an ungodly amount. People are the worst. So please just take care of each other. Look out for each other. Why can't people be nice to each other? That's what I'll leave you with today. Thank you all for listening to this roller coaster ride of an episode. Lots on my site and on this show in the coming weeks. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody.